0: The kingdom of heaven is now as people are healed and made right with God. And it is not yet as we await the day when Jesus will return as the rewarder and the judge of all people. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Are you eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus Christ? I know I am. Each day I anticipate that even more eagerly, I think. so. Uh, but are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Will he find you faithful? You know, I wondered, I, I asked myself this uh, some days. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself this. If, if the Lord were to call you home to himself today, would he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? If you were to stand before him today, would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? I'd like to challenge us all on that. I want that to be a yes for every one of us here, right? So continuing our series and today, we're looking at this idea of the kingdom, how the kingdom is both now and not yet. The people in Jesus' day were eagerly anticipating their Messiah. They were anticipating a political king because the Messiah would vanquish their enemies, Rome, and restore the nation to greatness. And it is true that one day Jesus will indeed rule politically over all the earth as the king. But that is not the purpose of his first coming. His first coming was as a humble servant who would give his life, and he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus often taught about the nature of the kingdom, and he taught there are many different aspects to it, that it is both physical and spiritual, material and immaterial. It is both now and not yet. And today we will look some more at this idea of the kingdom of heaven as both now and not yet. So we continue in our series in Unique, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ it is a harmony of the Gospels, taking the messages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and putting them together in one chronological harmonious order as suggested in this book by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life. For today... Believe it or not, today folks is this la- is the last message in this section which is the king's third year of earthly ministry. Starting next week, believe it or not, we're going to be entering into the Passion Week, which is those final week, that final week of his earthly ministry. So we're getting very close then to that. For today then, now and not yet, with those passages from Matthew 20 and Mark 10 and Luke 18 and 19. And so our question at the beginning here, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What do I want us to take away from the message here? And that is this theme right here, that the kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is now as people are healed and made right with God. And it is not yet, it is not yet as we await the day when Jesus will return as the rewarder and the judge of all people. So the kingdom of heaven is now. God is working now. God is healing. God is making people right with himself. He's saving, redeeming people. But what we await that day when he will return and he will reward his faithful servants and judge all people. Where we look at our text here, a little context again. Our first text today speaks of Jesus healing two blind men in Jericho, just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the final time where he would give his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. In the account of this healing here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event in the life of Christ. I want to ask you, can we trust the testimony of the scriptures here? Can we trust this as the inspired, authoritative, infallible word of God? Yes, we can. But sometimes some people will look at this and say, well, wait a minute. I see there that, you know, that, that two or more gospel writers here, they're covering this event here, and there might, there's some differences among them. Well, difference, differences and different perspectives does not mean contradictions, does it? So we see here, if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, there are different aspects or elements of this, different details that one includes that the other does not. And some would say, well, you can't trust the Bible then because those are just very different things. But that is not the case of all here because there, have, there are some differences in the accounts, but these are actually pretty easily reconciled. Uh, Matthew speaks of two blind men being healed as Jesus went out of Jericho uh, Mark mentions one blind man named Bartimaeus healed as Jesus went out of Jericho is that a contradiction two men were healed or one was healed no it would be yeah because if two were healed one was healed right it's just a matter of which one are we focusing on here right but they both mentioned that this took place as he was going out of Jericho now, Jesus, or, or Luke then mentions Jesus healing a blind man as he was going into Jericho. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute, going out of Jericho, going into Jericho, now that's a problem here. Well, actually, it is not at all. Why? Because there were two Jerichos. There was ancient Jericho, and there was the new Jericho right next to it there. And so when I've been speaking of going out of Jericho, old Jericho and going into new Jericho with that. So I think the most likely scenario here is that, yes, there were two blind men who were healed, one of whom was named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was the more prominent one of the two and was probably then better known in the church then. And that is why he is specifically called out or mentioned by Mark then. As I said, it's also noted there are two Jerichos, the old Jericho, which we know is the Jericho in the Old Testament but then also the newer Jericho that was built by Herod the Great. And so it is likely then that this healing took place as Jesus was leaving one of them and entering into the other as he passed through there then. So with that then, let's look at our first text found in Matthew 20, Mark 10 and Luke 18. We're told, Now they came to Jericho. And then it happened as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude followed him and behold, two blind men were sitting by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus asked what it meant. And so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out saying, Jesus, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and commanded them to be called and brought to him. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, Bartimaeus rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him and his fellow beggar, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, Rabboni, that our eyes may be opened, that we may receive our sight. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And then Jesus said, Receive your sight, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him on the road, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So we want to talk first here again about that element of the kingdom is now. God is at work now, isn't he? He is at work in my life. He's at work in your lives, in this church, in this community, and all around the world. He is at work now. And so we see here then, first, that physical eyes, physical eyes are opened. As I said, Jesus' journey now was taking him to Jerusalem, by way of Jericho. Jericho was uh, that town not too far outside of Jerusalem, about 17 miles outside of Jerusalem, uh, northeast of it, down along by the Jordan River there. It's about 700 feet below sea level, which once again, this is why Jesus would soon be going up to Jerusalem, right? As he is nearing the city of Jericho, though, the crowd that was with him was attracting the attention of a blind man who was inquiring about the excitement. He was told that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, that was a good place to be seated. If you were blind on that road there to Jericho, that was a popular route. Many people would be going passing by there. And especially now, at this time of the year, because the Passover celebration was coming up soon in Jerusalem. So you had people from the north who were traveling then, we would say going down to Jerusalem, but they were going up to Jerusalem, right? So they were traveling from the north, going up to Jerusalem, and they would, they would travel down along the Jordan River Valley and then go up to Jerusalem through Jericho. So that was a good place then for a beggar to be. So there they were. And these men had heard about the ministry of Jesus Christ and about his miraculous works. And you see something, though, that not only that they had heard about him, but they believed something about him, not just that he was a wonder worker, but that he was the Messiah because he called Jesus, he called out to them as what? Son of David. That is a title for Messiah. So this man, these men, they knew that Jesus could heal, they'd heard about him, but they also believed that he was the Messiah, and they knew the prophecies that Messiah would open the eyes of the blind, so they wanted that for themselves. Now, I tried to give a little flavor of it here i, I it uh it could have been much more so the case, but I didn't decided not to, and that is. They were really crying out, okay? Really crying out, trying to get Jesus' attention. There was a big crowd and people going, do you think that they were really trying hard to get Jesus' attention? You bet they were. And so what do you think they were doing? They were making quite a scene or a spectacle of themselves, shouting out. And how, ended, how did the multitude, how of the people, they, what, they were just shh, would you be quiet? Right? But as they were trying to quiet them, they were more and more persistent and cried out all the more. See, they were not half-hearted about this. They would not let this opportunity just literally pass them by. Right? I think there might be a little message in that for you and for me, don't you think? And crying out to they would not let anything, you know, hold them back, and they were crying out to Jesus, would not let anything stop them for making that desire for Jesus to hear them known. And I think that's important for us then, not to be half-hearted, but to be crying out to Jesus. I've been doing a whole lot of crying out lately, you know. so that is a good thing, isn't it, to do that? Well, Jesus heard them. He stopped. And he commanded for the blind men to be brought to him. And Jesus asked them, then, what do you want me to do for you? Now, did he know? Of course he knew, but he's asking, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, Lord, Rabboni, Rabbi, teacher, that our eyes may be opened, that we may receive our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and their physically blind eyes were opened. And they could see. But you know, I think the text is indicating for us though that there was something more going on there though than just physical eyes being opened. There were also, what other kinds of eyes were being opened there, do you think? Spiritual. Spiritual eyes were opened as well. Jesus told them, your faith has made you well or your faith has saved you. See, it's not just that they had faith that he could heal their blind eyes they had faith that he could heal them in every way as their messiah and so they were not just having physical eyes open they had their spiritual eyes opened as well and we see the evidence of that as they what as they follow him then they followed him on the road and doing what giving praise to god glorifying god for what he had done for them Miracles should always result in praise to God first and foremost. Now, before we look at our next text, which is found in Luke 19, I want us to ask a question here. I think you probably already know the answer, but we're going to put it out there. The time the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire was the, the great political power of the world at that time how does an empire finance itself an empire is a very expensive undertaking you know so where did the money come from for rome to conquer to build to hold and to expand its grip on their worldwide empire where did the money come from Taxes by taking taxes from the people they had conquered that 's a fine how do you do right? Not only are we now or do they come in and take control over your nation, you're going to pay us for the privilege of being under our control All right? How many of you would like that? Have a foreign nation come in and, and take control and then tax you to support not only what they're doing there, but, what, but expanding elsewhere around the world as well. Times don't change much, do they, right? <laughs> so they took taxes from the people they had conquered. Now, Rome had a vast army of soldiers, but they did not have their own army of tax collectors. And apparently, Caesar had no plan to hire an additional 87,000 tax collectors from within Rome, either. Rather, they, some of you know that, what I was saying there. Rather, what would they do? They would employ the citizens of that nation they conquered to work for them in collecting the taxes. And they were well compensated for their labor. And once Rome got its cut, the tax collectors were free to extort more money from the people if they wanted, which many of them did. Now, this did not make tax collectors very popular people. They were seen as traitors to the nation, as cheats, low-down, rotten sinners. So if you were going to be a tax collector, though, Jericho was a good spot for it because it was a wealthy area and it was situated on an important trade route that passed from Jerusalem to the east. It was a good place to do business, you might say. So let's look at Luke chapter 19, starting in verse one. He entered Jericho and was passing through And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him "Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today." So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it they all grumbled "He is gone to be gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner." And Zacchaeus stood came to seek and to save the lost. The kingdom is now, as blind men were healed, physical eyes open, spiritual eyes open, the kingdom is now in the life and the heart of this man, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. Now this story of Zacchaeus who is a very wealthy man, as a chief tax collector. It stands in contrast to the earlier story, just not long before this. There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. You remember that? But sadly, he valued his wealth more than following Jesus. And Jesus then said, what? It's very hard for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Not because... Wealth in and of itself is wrong, and that. But why? Because it can be very hard for people to want to give up that wealth to humble themselves and to follow, to admit and to see their spiritual need. So it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were stunned and said, "Well, then, who can enter the kingdom of heaven?" And Jesus said, "What? With man, this is impossible, but with God." All things are possible. Guess what? We're about to see an example of all things are possible right here. So Zacchaeus was not simply a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, meaning what? He was in charge of all the other tax collectors in the area. And as such, he was especially rich. And he, no doubt, was especially unpopular and had little to no social life. But then he heard Jesus was coming, and he was eager to see him. Zacchaeus was small of stature. He was short. He was very short. He couldn't see over other people as they were standing in front of him along the road. No doubt the people standing in front of him were not eager to accommodate him in his desire to see, were they? But Zacchaeus was a resourceful man and he ran up ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus. Now I wonder, this is just a little speculation here. I don't know, but based on what happens here, I think it may be the case. I I wonder, might Zacchaeus' heart have been troubled by all that he had done and all that he had done in cheating the people. Might his heart have been troubled by that? Was God maybe working in his heart? Well, I think so. And I think that's why he was so anxious to see the Messiah. Why would a tax collector, a very wealthy tax collector, working for Rome, Be eager to see the Messiah who they believed was going to do what? Overthrow Rome. I think there was a conflict in Zacchaeus' heart. So there he is, proving himself resourceful once again. He climbs that tree and he's waiting and watching as Jesus approaches. So Zacchaeus seeks Jesus to see him. But Jesus also sees Zacchaeus. Jesus did not simply pass by, but he saw him and he stopped. And I would say, and he did not merely see him physically, he saw him spiritually. He stops And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I what? I must stay at your house today. Hmm. Jesus knows who he is by name. And he says, I must stay at your house today. Not, hey, could you think maybe I could drop by or I'd like to? No, he says, no, I must stay at your house. See, what? Jesus was on a mission. Now, his ultimate mission was what? He was on his way to Jerusalem where he would give his life. But first, as he passed through Jericho, which was a good place to do business, Jesus had a little business of his own to conduct. He had a little business of his own to conduct with this corrupt businessman, this reviled tax collector, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus eagerly came down and received him, wow, joyfully. Something's definitely going on in his heart, isn't there? Now the crowd is not very happy about this turn of events. Isn't it interesting, once again we see an unhappy crowd what is it about crowds that they tend to be unhappy? Have you ever known that? Why are crowds oftentimes unhappy about something, right? They weren't happy with the blind men who were shouting, and now they're not happy about what Jesus is doing here. He's going into the home of that wretched sinner? What? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Why is Jesus going to see that man? Well, we see why Jesus stopped and went to his home. It was for the purpose of repentance and salvation. Repentance and salvation. You see, a mighty miracle was underway in Zacchaeus. It was not a miracle of a physical healing. It was a mighty spiritual healing. This rotten sinner, Zacchaeus, right before their eyes was being redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. Right there before their eyes. His heart was powerfully changed. And Zius, Zacchaeus demonstrated his repentance. Remember, repentance is what? It is a, a change of mind that results in a change of action, a change of course. Zacchaeus knows what he has done, how he has cheated the people, taken advantage of them. So he demonstrates his repentance, his his heart change, by publicly declaring that he would give half of his goods to the poor. He was a very wealthy man. He says, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate this change of heart here. First of all, half of all I have I'm going to give to the poor And to anyone he has cheated, he would restore fourfold anyone he would cheat. He's not going to just give back what he cheated from them. He was going to reimburse them four times over. That tells you how wealthy he was, doesn't it? That he could give away half of what he had and then still restore everyone he had cheated fourfold. But it also tells you not just how wealthy he was, It tells you how sincere this change in his heart was. And Jesus then declared, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, Zacchaeus was a physical descendant of Abraham, he was a biological son of Abraham as a Jew. But I don't think Jesus is merely commenting on his physical lineage. He's saying he's not only a son of Abraham genetically, but what, but now he is also a spiritual son of Abraham. That is a son of Abraham by his redeeming faith. We have sons and daughters of Abraham right in here in this room. Not genetically, I assume, for many of us, but definitely what? Spiritually. Sons and daughters of Abraham. So you see now, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. He was an outcast among his own people, but he was still one of them. And now, he's not just a physical son of Abraham too. He is now a spiritual son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus But Jesus was seeking him too. And in fact, he's seeking more than only Zacchaeus. See, he is the seeking Savior. Jesus declared his mission in coming. Why did he stop? Why do you say, I must come to your house? Because that's what he's come into the world to do. He has come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost. But Jesus sought him out and saved him. Many people lost in our world today, aren't there? But Jesus is seeking them out and will save them. He is still seeking and saving people today, isn't he? So he said, "The kingdom is now and not yet." We've seen the kingdom is now as people are healed, as people are saved. And we also wait, though. We await the day when Jesus will return and establish his physical kingdom on earth, when he will indeed rule over all the earth and he will make all things new. But until then, there is a delay while he is seeking and saving the lost now. Sometimes we wonder, when is Jesus gonna come again? We're eager for him to return. I'm eager for him to return but if he had returned in 1700, would you and I be here today with the hope of uh, eternal life? No, we wouldn't. So I'm kind of glad he didn't come in 1700 or 1800. Some people can't think he came in 1914, but they're mistaken, right? Or 1975 or what have you. He hasn't come back yet. But one day he is. right? One day he is. And until then, you and I must be faithful stewards or managers of all that God has given us to build the kingdom. Now, in just a moment, we will read of a parable in which Jesus challenges them and challenges us to be faithful stewards. So here's Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. It's the Passover He's going there. It's his final time. It's the, it's the last week of his earthly ministry. He knows he's going there to do what? To die and to rise again. To save untold numbers of people for centuries to come. But what do the people think he's going to do when he gets there as Messiah? Going to establish his physical kingdom. He's going to kick out those, those hated Romans so they're eager for the kingdom to come. Till kingdom come, right? <laughs> they, they, thought, they thought it was days away. The physical rule of Messiah was days away. But look what Jesus says next. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, "Your Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. Well, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. The kingdom is now and not yet. The kingdom is now as Jesus is seeking and saving the lost throughout the church age. It is not yet in that one day Jesus will return and establish his rule over the earth, and he will make all things new. But until then, we wait. But we must not wait idly. Doing nothing. You know, there are similarities in this parable to the parable of the talents that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 as part of his Olivet Discourse. We'll see that coming up soon. In Matthew, in that parable, Jesus is concerned with people of different abilities to whom are assigned tasks according to their capabilities. The sums are large and they represent serious and important tasks. But here in Luke, the sums are smaller and the same amount is given to all. The servants here are being tested to see whether they are fit for larger tasks. You see, the Matthew parable reminds us that we all have different gifts, but in Luke we see that we all have the same basic task, that of living out our faith. And Matthew's parable concentrates on the servants and their trading, but Luke has reference to a nobleman receiving a kingdom and to the attitudes of his subjects. There's a reason for that, and we'll see that in just a moment. So we see the kingdom is delayed. As Jesus heads to Jerusalem for the final time in his earthly ministry, he's only about 17 miles away here in Jericho. The journey is nearly over. No doubt many people were anticipating that the kingdom is at hand as they understood it, a political kingdom. They thought it would appear immediately. Well, the climax of Jesus' ministry was indeed at hand, but it would be of a very different kind from the one the people imagined. So Jesus told this parable to put them right. He speaks of how a nobleman was going away to a far country to receive a kingdom well, that was a reference to how in those days, a person who made a claim to, be a, to a political throne, they would make a trip to Rome where they would be confirmed and formally declared king and then return formally as the declared king. Some years earlier, when Herod the Great died, you all remember Herod the Great, right? He was the, the, ruler, the king of the Jews that Rome had put in place when, at the time of the birth of Jesus. We know what kind of character he was, right? Well, after the birth of Jesus, then what? A couple years later, uh, the, the, the family, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, they went into Egypt. Herod died. When Herod died, His will stipulated that his realm be divided among three of his sons, all of whom then went to Rome to press their claim to the throne. And one of those sons was named Archelaus, and he had been given the region of Judea. And when he went to Rome to make his claim, the people there they sent a delegation after him because they despised him because he was a terrible ruler. And so they sent a delegation to Rome to ask that he not be given the kingdom. But the emperor did confirm him in the place of authority, but he denied him the title of king until he proved himself worthy, which he never did. By the way, you notice when Jesus and Mary and Joseph, when they returned from Egypt, they they went, they avoided that. Why? Because Archelaus was king. He's even worse than his father, Herod, Herod the Great. So it was especially appropriate there in Jericho to make that reference to Archelos because they knew this, they knew this story well. And in fact, Archelos had built a magnificent palace in what city? Jericho, right where they were. So now Jesus says, this nobleman goes off to a far country, but he's coming back. But before he goes, he gives 10 servants, gives each of them a a, a mina. What is a mina? A mina was a coin. It was a Greek coin that was worth about 100 drachmas. A drachma was a laborer's wage for a day. So, So it was a coin worth about 100 days' wages. Now, that was a significant sum, but not a huge sum as we see later in the parable of the talents. But the servants were told to trade, Each was given a free hand, though they all knew that in due time they must give account of themselves. The people subject to the nobleman did not like him, so they took steps then to try to prevent him from obtaining kingly authority. Who do you think these folks were? Who did Jesus have in mind of these people who didn't like him and wanted to try to prevent him from taking his kingly authority? It's the religious leadership of the nation, right? Right? So there's a delay in the kingdom. There are faithful servants. The nobleman did, the nobleman went off to a far country in the parable, and he did receive the kingdom, and now he comes back to rule and to reign. And he calls his servants who had been trading to render their accounts. The first one had gained he had one they were all given one mina each. The first one, he's gained another ten minas. The second one, he's gained another five minas. And they are commended for their good work and each is given additional responsibilities in proportion to their faithfulness and their profits. But there was also a wicked servant who'd done nothing. Only one more servant is dealt with here and we're left to imagine what happened to the other seven. But this is sufficient for us for in the end we know there's only two classes here. Those who made good use of the money and those who did not. And the third servant did nothing, but rather kept it laid away in a handkerchief. You know, he didn't even bother to comply with the minimum requirements for safety, which required burial in the earth. He just put it in a napkin, essentially. And he declares his, his motive was fear. He describes his master as a severe man who takes what he doesn't deposit, reaps what he doesn't sow. And so the master uses this man's own words as the basis of his judgment. See, if the servant really believed those things about the master, then he ought to have at least done something with it. Why? He could have put the money in, in, the, in a bank and gotten a little interest. Now, understand, they, don't, they didn't have banks in the sense that we did that, but they had. that was a term for moneylenders. Could have at least given it to some moneylenders and, and, and get a little something back, a little interest back on that. But he did what? Nothing jack squat nothing with it so there's reward and judgment so that money was taken from him and it was given to the one who had proved that he would make good use of it jesus says i tell you that to everyone who has more will be given but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away but as for these enemies what they were all to be destroyed before him the harshness of Jesus's words here no doubt prefigures the terrible things that would happen to the na- to the unbelieving nation as when it ultimately in fact was destroyed by Rome in AD 70 just about 40 years later. So the kingdom is not yet, the kingdom is not yet in that Jesus has not yet returned, but when he does return, he will establish his rule over all the earth, he will reward his servants, he will judge his enemies, and then he will establish a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will reign forever and ever. So what? What do you want me to do with this? See, the kingdom of heaven is now. Now. These people are healed and made right with God. And it is not yet, though, as we await the day when Jesus will return and he will either reward or judge. One of the two. Has salvation come to your house? Salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. Repentance and faith. A mighty work of God in his heart. Is God at work in your heart? Is he calling to you? Are you hearing that voice? His voice calling you to repent, to turn from sin itself, and to put your trust in him, in his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection? Has salvation come to your house through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you are a believer, are you proving yourself to be faithful? Are you a faithful servant? Are you making use of the time, making use of the opportunities God has given you to build the kingdom, to cooperate with him in his work of what? Seeking and saving the lost. And for all of us, are you living with hope? That's something I need to remind myself of often. I'm sure we all need it. Our hope is what is the sure and the certain promise of God the guarantee that he's going to finish what he started. He's going to give us all that he has promised. Perfect righteousness, eternal life, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, a new heaven, new earth. This is our sure and certain promise, guarantee. Are you living in the light of that hope? We need that with so much that's going on all around us in our world, maybe in our own homes, right? We need that reminder daily. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps salvation has come to someone's house here today, Lord. I pray, though, Lord, that we would prove ourselves faithful servants, that we would take advantage of the opportunities we are given to proclaim the good news, to build the kingdom. You are a seeking and saving Savior, Lord Jesus. May we follow you and join you in that work and be found faithful. May one day all of us here, Lord, stand before you and hear you hear you say those wonderful words, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.